Here they are. He said, those same people that was smoking the dope, taking the acid and all the free love are the ones teaching your kids and indoctrinating them. And uh, Exactly. And then you have Christian parents or just regular parents sending their kids to schools, these colleges, and they come back hating their parents, calling them racists. And they're like, what? What's going on? You know, and I'll tell you, the ignorance is really shown by this latest incident with um, all these mass protests in college campuses around the country, pro-Palestinian genocidal protests against Israel, calling for genocide against Israel. Hi, this is Brian Gadauer. You're watching Prometheus Lens, and you can check out my books at Amazon.com. Brian Gadawa. All things continually lead back to serpents, dragons, fairies, Nephilim, and fallen angels. In the distance looms a mystical mountain. As Mike Kaiser used to say, if it's in the Bible and it's weird, it's probably important. At its peak, a great fire burns, concealing the Prometheus lens. This development of this knowledge that's being talked about within the mystery schools. An ancient artifact said to reveal the hidden truth within a deliberately darkened world. There is a hidden history that's been deliberately obfuscated from the peoples of the world. Join us as we travel and explore the vast unknown. It's a hero's journey with dragons to slay, damsels to save, and innumerable treasures to hoard. Torches high. The Smithsonian, they'd call wind of a giant skeleton. They would send their agents out to get it. But it takes courage to move forward, to move out of the shadows, out of the uh, unreality that we think of as reality. We are all on the hero's journey. Mankind has been in contact with and influenced by extraterrestrials. Leave the citron mound of bull feathers out of it. You know, look at it from a different perspective. A different perspective. Different perspective. Different perspective. My name is Charles Cullen. They call me the philosopher killer. Some call me insane. But Aristotle said that no genius has ever existed without a touch of madness. Some say I'm evil. But I say I make my victims face the consequences of their own ideas. What about you? Could you defend your beliefs if your life depended on it? Cruel Logic, The Philosopher Killer. A brilliant theological thriller novel by Brian James Gadawa. Readers are saying, the most thrilling novel you will read this year. A page-turner with shocking twists. Get it now at Amazon.com in Kindle paperback and audiobook. What's happening? What's up? Hold out your glass, because we're about to fill it up. Welcome to the Prometheus Lens Podcast, the place where the conversations are always enlightening. I'm your host, Justin. You may know me from my works with the Dig Bible Podcast. This is my solo project, or the Prometheus Lens, we use as an allegory to take a second look at everything. Well, today, you might as well call this Doomsday or Prep Day. 
I'm sure you guys have seen the movie Saul. Imagine if you put yourself in a situation where you're kidnapped and forced to defend your faith or die. Could you do that? Well, today I have a great guest with you. I have a filmmaker and author and researcher, podcaster extraordinaire, Brian Gadawa. Brian, how you doing, bud? Hey, man. Thanks for having me on, Justin. Excited. Excited to talk about this. I know we talked to you a few weeks back on the, the Dig Bible podcast, and yeah. I'd seen uh, you talk about this book on Facebook, but I hadn't really got the gist of the book till we talked to you, and I was immediately intrigued. And I was like, man, this is a really just awesome concept. And the name of your book is called Cruel Logic. Now, before we get too deep into it, this idea, I mean, this is a, a pretty you know, wild concept for, for a book, you know, how, how did you come up with this, uh, this storyline? Yeah. Well, the, the, I, as I like to say the log line or the premise of the story, it's, um, a brilliant serial killer captures university professors and he debates them. And the topic of his debate is his moral right to kill them. And um, that's sort of the hook of the whole story, as you already mentioned. But there's also, I go into the woke university and what that's like in modern day America. But the idea actually came many, many years ago. Although I did see Saw when it first came out and I did enjoy it. I had already seen a movie. Uh, uh, I had a couple ideas long before that. One was the... The actual, the um, the original idea came from an old Christian apologist from back in the 60s. His name was Walter Martin. And uh, I used to listen to him, um, you know, more like in the 80s or 90s. And uh, I would listen to his old tapes, you know, of his, you know, lectures and of his radio shows. They didn't have podcasts back then, right? So he's on this radio show called, his name was Walter Martin, and he was on this radio show called Long John Neville Show. And he's an, he's an apologist. I really like him because he's rascally. He was an older guy, um, but he, he had a good sense of humor, you know. Uh, but he also had a good, uh, um, a good way with being frank and honest with unbelievers. So he was, he was describing how he had this, his experience debating with an atheist and he typified a lot of atheists where he was saying, you know, atheists don't really, they think they have beliefs, but they don't think about their thinking. They don't really think about the consequences of what they're saying, what they're thinking, you know. And and he, he was debating with morality, with about morality to an atheist, right? And this atheist was saying, well, I'm an atheist, but I have a morality. He's saying, no, you can't, there's no such thing as morality without a God. And he's like, no, I do have morality. And I, I believe morality. What are you talking about? And Walter got so frustrated because he wasn't thinking he was he was trying to tell him, yeah, look, yeah, you have morality, but it doesn't comport with your atheism. That's the point. If everything you say about atheism is true, it doesn't make sense to believe in morality. Right. And so he said, OK, he got all frustrated. He goes, OK, it's 1940s Germany. I'm a commandant Nazi, you know, Nazi camp guard with a gun pointed at you and you're a Jew. Give me one reason why I shouldn't shoot you. 
And I never forgot that, of course. <laughs> um, it was, and I, and I think it was so powerful to me because it really is the, the heart and essence of the story of my novel, Cruel Logic, but also it really is the, 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 the big, um, the smoking gun, shall we say, uh, for when you're debating with atheists or unbelievers in particular. Um, the point is, is that if you believe that reality is, um, the universe is created by chance. There's no uh, intelligent design behind anything. Um, uh, life is reducible to random evolution, right? Then, and, and that morality is a social construct. There's no real absolute transcendent God to define what's right and wrong. If that's what you believe, then there is no, you have no basis to believe in anything being right and wrong at all. And so that haunted me for many years. And of course, I've, you know, I've talked about that in, in my own, you know, discussions with unbelievers. I've used that as, as a good example. Um, but there's also a couple movies in later years that sort of inspired me that made me think, Hey, I can make this into a movie. And that was the movie seven, which was, you know, uh, the infamous, um, movie with, uh, Brad Pitt. And um, Morgan Freeman and the killer was played by, uh, what's his name? Um, ah, forgot his name. But anyway, um, great movie. And it really had this moral dimension to it. But it was still done by atheists and they didn't quite understand the fullness of what they were arguing. And uh, there was another movie that came out that was a, a, a vampire movie called The Addiction. And that was like, that. that's what hit home for me, what this story could be. And the addiction was a black and white movie and it was an art house film. So it's not, it's not very mainstream. Hardly anybody has seen the movie, but I, I just love it. And the, the, it's a black and white movie about vampires. And it's the story of this NYU philosophy student who gets bitten by a vampire and she turns into a vampire and they show the progression of her turning into it. And then her feeding on fellow students and, and professors. And it's interesting because the vampires in the movie would, would actually, um, uh, philosophize with the people before they bit them, you know, right? And killed them. And, uh, and they were talking about this very thing about, you know, well, you philosophize, you know, Feuerbach said that we are nothing but star, stardust, you know? So what are you worried about? You know, that kind of thing. So it really hit home to me that this could be a, this could be a, um, a movie, you know? And so I said about years ago, I wrote Cruel Logic as a screenplay, actually. And it won lots of awards in, sec in um, secular screenplay contests and such. And I tried to get it made as a movie over the years, but I just couldn't get it made. I had some close calls, and that's not uncommon. Doesn't mean it's a bad idea or a bad story or script. It, it, sometimes it's, it, it's almost impossible to get a movie made. So, um, sometimes it just happens even with the best of them. So back to the, back to the story then. So, you know, I tried to get made as a movie, couldn't, and I got to the point where I, I made a short, I made a short movie of one of the scenes from, from the, from the movie itself as a means of trying to pitch the idea to Hollywood producers and such. And, and I made it. And in fact, it's on my website. You can actually go watch it still. Um, in fact, I got Tony Hale to play a victim, uh, the victim. And I got another great actor, um, to play the, uh, the serial killer. And, uh, anyway, so that, you know, it just languished for a long time. And I started writing novels years ago and I finally got to the point where I realized, you know what, it's time to trant to, to translate this screenplay into a novel I've been wanting to for the longest time. And now's the time to do it. 
And at the time, I kind of focused the the screenplay originally had focused mostly on, you know, you have to you have to you have to remember this was written long before a lot of this um, woke um, theology that is basically going on on all the campuses. Right? It had been going on for decades, of course, but before we knew about it. I had written that script before we knew about it. And so now that all of it had come to light and come out, you know, whether it's, you know, the um, trans ideology, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion being taught, uh, being dominating a, as, a, as a philosophy in, in higher education, uh, all that stuff had, had come out since then. And I realized that the, this concept of the serial killer as a, he's a philosophy teacher in a college, it still works, but it's now in a much more, I think, richer environment of, of ideas that are connected, shall we say, to the very problem that we're, we're addressing, and that is the wokeness in, in the modern universities. And so I, I wrote the story, I wrote the novel, and by the way, the subtitle is called The Philosopher Killer, so it's, the, it's called Crew Logic, The Philosopher Killer. And uh, anyway, I wrote the novel and just released a couple months ago, and it's doing really well, selling really well. Um, but but the, I, the the heart and soul of it was, um, well, let's put it this way: there's 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 several themes in the novel, and 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 what's going on. And number one, I wanted to write a entertaining thriller, kind of like Silence of the Lambs or Seven, right? So that's my, my ultimate goal. But I also love philosophy. And I know most people don't care for it, but I wanted to make philosophy entertaining, you know? And I thought, well, you know, if I put it in the context of this, of this uh, a serial killer story, it might gain some interest from people. And sure enough, it has worked. Um, even though you've got philosophical debates going on in the story, people have been loving it. And it's, it's been, you know, I, I don't, I don't write them at an academic level. I try to write them in a level that can be understood, even if you don't know the world of, of academia and higher education or philosophy. You could still follow along and get it. But um, so I wanted to bring in this whole wokeness, and and I wanted to show it accurately. So this isn't a novel that that um, you know uh, whatever tries to tries to demonize the modern university. I want to show it like it really is. In fact, all the incidents that I have that occur, whether it's um, Antifa uh, protests or making an occupation zone in the school or uh, trans ideology going on or the diversity, equity, and inclusion and how that um, controls the, the university, Everything I write in my novel is based on actual events that have occurred within the last 10 years or so. Um, even so much so that, um, you know, my main, my main character is a psychologist and he's trying to track down this killer. But at the same time, he's kind of like a Jordan Peterson character, right? He's actually at the university. He's helping the cops to track this killer. But at the same time, he's being attacked by the university administration and the students because he's trying to get Western civilization courses back into the school. And of course, that's a no-no with the modern woke university. They hate Western civilization. And their hatred for Western civilization is, is a, it's, it's one of those big picture issues. You know what I mean? Like it's, this is, 
this is a big idea because for them to want to dis- to get rid of Western civilization in the curriculum really is a an expression of what their their real goal is is to end Western civilization. They think Western civilization is evil. Now expand upon course, that, Brian, for those that, that are not familiar with that term. Sure. And of course, Western civilization is founded on Judeo-Christian uh, morality and worldview, as well as some of the, you know, some of the Enlightenment uh, rationalism from the past as well. Sort of a mixture of good and bad, in my opinion. But um, it, it's certainly uh, the Western civilization, as we have it in America, is founded on that Judeo-Christian foundation. And what that means is, is we organize our society around we organize society around certain ultimate principles, moral principles. You can say the three main things, um, knowledge, uh, being, and morality or ethics. And those are three philosophical concepts around which societies uh, organize themselves. So, you know, in other words, what is the nature of being? What is human nature? Uh, what are we like? Are we, are we, um, are we primarily good people or are we primarily bad people? You know, like human nature. Are we, are we, uh, essentially evil or essentially good? That whole debate, right? Um, but also what is the nature of reality? You know, is reality, um, something we can see, feel and touch or is it, is it a product of the mind? How do these factors work together? And then also, what is knowledge? Um, that is, you know, as, as we see now in, in, in today's world, claims of knowledge are just dichotomously opposite, right? People have different facts. Then you, you can't even agree on the facts anymore, right? So, so what do you it's call perception? Knowledge? Yeah, 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 and and it's subjective, you know. So knowledge could be considered justified true belief. It's what you believe, but uh, is true. But also, you've got to be able to justify. You can't just say anything, which is what modern day um, postmodernists say, right? It's like I am whatever I think I am in my head. I'm a, I'm a woman, or I'm a dolphin, you know, whatever. <laughs> well, you must participate in the delusion. And you must participate in the delusion. Exactly. And then, of course, lastly, ethics, which is, you know, what is the moral structure that all of our human relations are founded on? So all these components of society uh, that that we have in America are rooted basically in a Judeo-Christian construct. And the, the modern university is has become postmodern and leftist and Marxist. And it... it um, Critical theory, you know, we've heard these phrase, you know, critical race theory, but also critical theory in general, which is this, this postmodern attempt to, um, undermine all our notions of reality, truth, and morality. And so, um, that's why you hear people saying, you know, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth, right? Um, you know, we've, of course, we've always had people who believed in relativism, relative, truth is relative, morality is relative, right? But the, the specific notion of postmodernity, which dominates a lot of the thinking, is that truth is not knowable and therefore everything in society is reducible to power, the the organizing principle of the postmodern mind of the critical theory mind of the woke mind is 
that is power relations. Everything is reducible to power relations. Therefore, all our claims to reality, all our claims to morality, these are only things that we use to justify our own hold on power. That's why they get all these like, white supremacy and everything, everything is systemically intended to maintain whites' power. That's how they are, that's their religion of how they're Your interpreting the reality. Means to dominate the, the society. Exactly. But there so, has to be absolute the, universal truths because these are yeah, the same people oh, that get upset when you call them by the wrong name or, or do certain things that offend them. And it's like, as there if, has to be universal truths. Every nation in the world, yes. no matter their religion, knows it's wrong to kill, you know, and steal yeah. these things. These are universal truths. Yes, but um, technically, <clears throat> every every you say everyone believes it's wrong to kill, but that's actually not true um, because everybody has a justification for killing certain people they don't want alive, right? So you know whether it's you know white supremacists or Nazis or uh, Palestinians who believe it's okay to kill Jews because they're nothing but rats, just like Nazis do, or whether it's um, uh, uh, the, 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 the left contingents who, who believe that, um, you know, like I said, Judeo Christian, Judeo Christianity is actually evil and they must eliminate it. And we see more and more of this rhetoric now and right. We see more violent rhetoric in our society that, um, w that they, they want to get rid of people they disagree with morally and ethically. This is the woke contingent. So, um, you know, they call, they say, oh, decolonization, you know, oh, and decolonization. See, we are colonizers and colonizing is evil. Therefore, that justifies terrorism and violence against who they call colonizers. So step, pulling back uh, to what I was saying earlier, though, this, if everything's reducible to power, then everything you say and believe is just your attempt to claim to keep power over other people. And, Therefore, the world is reducible to two kinds of people, the, the oppressed and the oppressor. And the, and this is where it's got Marxist background. You know, it's very Marxist in, in its origins, but Marxism tended to stress economics. This, this, um, the woke worldview of critical theory extends that to everything, to race, gender, and class, and religion and such. So, uh, but the, the basic, as we all now see, right, the basic concept of oppressor and oppressed is the oppressor is white, heterosexual, Christian males, and the oppressed are everybody else, women, people of color, um, trans people, homosexuals, et cetera. These are all the oppressed. And the, the rhetoric that we're hearing from the university now is becoming very violent against the oppressor and even justifying it because, hey, if we've been oppressed like slaves – then it's just for us to rise up and kill. You know, people kill are using that justification to for the Palestinians to attack the Israelites. That the blows Israelites. my mind. I never thought I'd ever see that. Yeah, justification. You know, of, of the the invasion and murder of of another country or people. Yeah, from in America. I mean, you ex you expect it from some people, but you're hearing it from students, from from you know uh, news people, from university professors and 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 the like the intelligentsia you know it's yeah it truly is sickening so all this morass of stuff that that we're you know that we're talking about here i wanted to depict what what's that like in the university because it originates in the university but of course that could be very boring if you're just trying to you know 
you know, uh, just show all these things. So I tell the journey of actually an evangelical Christian who comes to the school as a freshman and he's naive and he gets sucked up into it out of his concern for compassion. He's, he's manipulated into the wokeness and it, it, it shows him his journey, which leads him to the point of making some life or death decisions in the story that become very, very, uh, very serious indeed. But I wanted to deal with how um, Christians are often not equipped to deal with this because of the simplicity of what we're being taught, um, the the ignorance and naivete of much of evangelicalism. Um, it's in terms of not being taught really how to address unbelief, atheism, skepticism, et cetera, in a, in a very efficient way. And so they go to college and they lose their faith. You know, what's the phrase we've heard lately all over the place, De Christian deconstruction or Christian deconversion. And now, of course, it's always been the case that many religious people have gone to college and lost their faith forever, right? But but in these more recent days, there's sort of a uh, that that redefinition of the term. And also, we see a lot more of this because of podcasts where people are having their podcasts describing their journey and how they've lost their faith through these things, right? And I find, you know, they're, they're all very much similar. They all kind of have the same sort of components. Uh, uh, and it comes down to a, a real weak Christian f understanding of their Christian faith, basically. You know, cliches and slogans that get, when they get really challenged with intelligent arguments, they, they fall down and they get sucked up into it. So I wanted to address that as well. But in the bigger picture issue too, it's like, if you, you know, in the same way that the serial killer is capturing these university professors and he's making arguments with them, um, what's the point? Well, he's, he's actually got a couple things that reasons why he's doing that. I'm not going to tell you everything because I don't want to give away the novel, but there's a cop and a psych, the psychiatrist who are tracking him down and there's a cat and mouse game with them that he's also playing. But, but in the same way that, um, in the same way that these these godless, unbelieving ideas lead to consequences, in that same way, so the idea of what do you get when you get rid of Western civilization along with its Judeo-Christian roots, right? And and so in a very real sense, the two things are very tied together, right? We see the very uh, rejection of the foundations of all morality and truth in our universities, in the youth, the youth grow up and they go out and get jobs. And now, and now they're in HR departments, in corporations, in schools, in churches, everywhere, right? And they all believe this, this critical theory nonsense. And they all believe this wokeness. And that's why we see all our major institutions have been captured by this woke DEI mentality, diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is, of course, is a, misnomer because it really should be die die right because you know it what it proclaims is not, is the opposite of what it is that's how the left always operates but anyway um so so uh what happens when you teach people that that um you know there is no truth there is no morality but power well they're going to act on power and that's exactly what modern day students have become as they've gr gone out and captured our, our insti major institutions, grown up, shall we say. So that's sort of the big picture, you know, world of ideas that I'm trafficking in. 
But as I say, I also I seek to make it an entertaining story and novel as well. So with some romance and such in there. So um, it's it's it it it's a perfect a perfect connection of my love two loves you know multiple loves. I love storytelling and movies and um, novels, but I also love apologetics. And this is a way to embody that argument that I told you about earlier. Um, the, it's called the moral argument for the existence of God, namely that without God, you can't have anything morally right or wrong. And are you willing to, as an atheist or an unbeliever, are you willing to face that reality? What does that mean? That means all your claims of morality, like you had just said, Justin, all your outrage is irrelevant. It's just your personal sentiments that have nothing to do with right or wrong, because there are many people who disagree with you. And so, um, you know, those are the kind of things that, Okay, but but so much of apologetics is this rational argumentation, which is a good thing and it has its place, of course. But I wanted to I wanted to incarnate this moral argument for the existence of God into a narrative in a way that will touch people with, and on their human, their emotional level, their their you know their re, their rational level as well, but their emotional and their human level. Yeah, it's just. So that's 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 what I hope it does, and and so far that I've been getting a lot of great responses that it's it's doing that. I wasn't sure I wasn't sure people would appreciate it, but um, they really are. They're they're catching on, and it's it's something that's really hasn't been done by anyone else quite like this before. If you guys are still with us, you must be intrigued. I have a uh, a video that Brian has sent us. I'm going to insert that here and let this play through for a break and a quick word from our sponsors. My name is Charles Cullen. They call me the Philosopher Killer. They say I'm evil, but I say I make my victims face the consequences of their own ideas. What about you? Could you defend your beliefs if your life depended on it? Cruel Logic, The Philosopher Killer, a brilliant theological thriller novel by Brian James Godawa. Get it now at Amazon.com in Kindle, paperback, and audiobook. Hey guys, what's up? Tom Dunn here from Through the Black. We have launched our new ministry outreach, No More Dead Babies. And the website is nomoredeadbabies.com. We want you to go to that website and get a free t-shirt, okay? Um, and uh, we want you to join the movement, okay? We need soldiers to step up and say that they're gonna be a voice for the voiceless, okay? Guys, we've never done anything like this before. This is a big deal, and I don't know who all is ready for it out there, but it's time to step up, okay? And we're asking you to go to the website and order the shirt. The shirt is free, but you gotta pay for shipping, okay? Um, and uh, we're gonna ship it out to you as soon as we get it. You, you tell us what size you need, and then we're gonna send you the T-shirt, okay? Join us. Uh, the goal is to get thousands of these shirts I keep pushing this I think this boldness can be contagious 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 my name's Nick I'm the owner of Kevlar Joe's and I'm the roaster I'm an Air Force Security Forces veteran a dad to three wild boys and a husband to my wife Crystal and a coffee enthusiast from a family in a small town in Missouri we started with the simple idea of crafting a perfectly bold cup of coffee Inspired by wellness and countless pots of stale coffee while deployed, we wanted to craft a bold, clean, and smooth coffee. 
So we did. And we realized we wanted to share this coffee with our friends. Lord knows we could all use a good cup of coffee right about now. From the farm to your coffee cup, there's nothing like a good, well-crafted and bold cup of coffee. No matter what time of the day, it's there to pick you up, motivate you and relax you. We hope you enjoy our coffee. Be bold, be humble, be Kevlar. And you can find Kevlar Joe's Coffee Company anytime you want at www.kevlarjoe.com. Enjoy. Uh, now we're back. And uh, Brian, uh, this is, like I said, I was already intrigued. But now I'm not a, a big fiction reader, but I really i am going to get this book now because I really am. I, I want to check this thing out, especially that trailer. That trailer we just saw, man, that thing was was riveting. Yeah, that was just, fun. I got to. Yeah, that guy just looking at the camera, you know, and they, his glasses were cracked, splattered in blood. And man, I was just like, yeah. ooh. <laughs> yeah, I got a great filmmaker out in South Africa, actually, to, to shoot that for me. But um, it was a it, it, it was a good quick way to sort of capture the vibe of what, of what I'm trying to do, you know? And like I said, a lot of people love a good thriller with a good serial killer or murderer, you know? Um, but this is, of course, I, I call the series theological, um, theological thriller novels, meaning they're thriller novels, but they're more than thriller novels. They're, they make you think about human nature, the problem of evil, and the existence of God. And the first one is Cruel Logic, and there's going to be a couple other novels. They're not going to be sequential. They're going to be all standalone novels, but they're going to be kind of similar in the, in, in, in the kind of thing that they're doing and addressing with those stories. But Cruel Logic, the philosopher killer, um, is, is, is the first. And it really was, it was quite a challenge because I had to do, I had to do a lot of studying and a lot of reading. And in fact, I've, I've, I've put some footnotes in the book. And the reason why I did that, I explained it in the novel. You don't want to usually do footnotes in a novel. You, you don't. But so much of the stuff that I was telling the stories of was based on real events. And I wanted people to realize this isn't made up. If you want to see where this was, here's the newspaper articles or the, you know, the, the news, um, boy, the old language, huh? Here's the, the, the news posts. <laughs> That, uh, you know, that, that talk about this event or these kinds of things that I'm talking about, as well as the quotes. I have a lot of teachers. I, ha I have like philosophy professor. I have a tr uh, trans um, activist. I have feminists. I have an evolutionary biologist. And, and all of them, some of them will actually quote from actual uh, famous unbelieving skeptics like, you know, like Carl Sagan or... Uh, who are these new atheist guys like Richard Dawkins and those guys, you know, um, I'll actually, who? No, young, Carl Young and, and all oh, those yeah, guys. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, they ain't he, too yeah. new, but. Yeah. The psychologist actually quotes from Young, absolutely. Um, and, and, and the professors, you know, so I wanted to be accurate and also reflect the real ideas that are out there, not just my own. So, uh, so I sometimes footnoted so that people know I'm not plagiarizing. You know, I wanted to, sometimes the way these, these authors will say things are just, you know, like Richard Dawkins has that famous quote where he, he says something like, you know, that Old Testament God is, is, is a genocidal misogynistic, you know, um, mass murdering, egotistical, you know, he, it's this rant that, that's everyone 
has quoted it in all over the place, right? And so I have my my professor say those words, right? Because I want to address those very real ideas that people are actually believing. Uh, but this and, isn't. And if a, you're not a fiction reader too, I, I want to say this and, and give you some some props. I have read uh, uh, your other two books uh, when the and forgive me from the titles. It's been a while, but the uh, when the giants the giants ruled the earth. When, yeah, when giants were upon the earth, and then uh, that other one, but uh, when watchers cross, ruled the nations. Yes, and both of those because he has the series, you know, the the chronicles of the Nephilim, and in those series he tells biblical stories and stuff. But he he, he once again he entertains you, tells you a story, but there's truths and stuff, uh, actual events uh, from the Bible and history, you know. Easter egg in there and weaved into that storyline. So what he done is he uh, took all of those books and combined all of the uh, the themes and the storylines and the, the ideas. Research. Yeah, all that into these books. And, and those were really good. I really enjoyed those. Yeah. And Cruel Logic is a departure from um, what you're talking about is my Chronicles of the Nephilim, Chronicles of the Watchers and Chronicles of the Apocalypse, all these novels. Biblical stories retold with a supernatural angle in it, angels and demons and all that, um, and spiritual warfare, you know, that kind of stuff. And um, Crew Logic is, is a definite different genre. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, it's, it's more of the classic thriller genre. I don't have angels and demons in it, you know, so, so people have to understand that it's a very different sort of story than my previous ones. But yeah, I do love to provide the research for people. That's part of the best part of the thing about it is, uh, you know, I knew that my Christian readers reading my Bible novels would go, where did he get this stuff? Because some of it was pretty wild. Where's the studied... references? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, that's fine. I, okay, I'm, I'm kind of like that too. So I thought, you know what? Uh, I was inspired by Michael Crichton. Michael Crichton would write his, you know, fictional, wild sci-fi stories, but then he would always have an appendix at the end of the novel where he would share some of the real research that it was found, the fiction was founded on, right? Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, I appreciate that, and I'm sure other people will want that for, with mine. So I did that with all my my Bible novels. I, at the end of each one, I have an appendix or now a book that you can buy that tells all the research behind the fictional story you're reading. And so that's why I kind of had the same impulse with Krulogic to just at least footnote it a little bit, but not too much, you know, not, not where it would get in the way of you reading the, the actual novel. But, um, yeah, I do like to, I do tend to like to, um, to, uh, ve uh, you know, verify with research and scholarship, but of course, cruel logic, it's actually in a way the scholarship is within the story. Cause you've mm -hmm. got these professors, they're actually quoting and saying these statements from what the, what you actually will hear in the college classes that you go to. Mm -hmm. It's quite accurate about what goes on in college. And some of it's shocking to people who I've had people write me and go, I didn't know this was going on. I'm thinking you didn't, you know, like there are things like sex week, you know, and by the way, this was started by Yale. All right. Ivy league Yale, not some out podunk out of the way college, like, I don't know, 20, 15 years ago or something like that. Yale started sex week, you know, where they have all these free seminars and, lectures on everything from, you know, kinky sex to BDSM to, you know, trans sex, all this kind of stuff. And now it's become a, a very common thing amongst a lot of college campuses 
where this is where you get a lot of weird, freaky things. Like they'll have porn stars coming in and, and giving, teaching a class on, on things that, that's, you know, it's pretty grotesque actually. And of course there's no, you know, they push the bounds uh, any way that's possible. And I, I talk about that in my story and everything that occurs in the sex week in my story was based on the real stuff that goes on at Yale and other, and other schools. So it's that real. When you read this stuff, it's, you get the sense of, wow, if, if it's really like this, then we're in deep trouble. And it is really like that. And, so and that's the scary part is how people are so clueless because I'll, how you yeah. said, these are the, this, these are the future generations. These, these kids coming out of college are going to be the ones that have the good education and go into take an entry level position, but then they're going to move up and be the, uh, the bosses and, and the executives of these companies doing the hiring, the firing and uh, the, the product manufacturing to your grandchildren. I mean, and it's just, yeah. you know, uh, uh, the ball rolls downhill, so to speak. And my uh, dad used to say something, and, he, you know, he was just a good old boy, nine-to-five factory worker. He wasn't no college-educated guy. But he talked about this stuff back in the 90s when I was a kid. And he was like, it all started in the 60s, son. He said, uh, "Yeah, everybody was, he did. said, smoking dope. He said, and taking acid. He said, and free love everywhere. He said, and Christians, he said, and us people, he said, at work every day, didn't have time to fool with that nonsense. He said, and we just kind of turned the blind eye. He said, and those weeds yeah. grew. He said, and those kids that were smoking dope, taking acid, he said, ended up going to college and being your college professors. He said, now. Here they are. He said, those same people that was smoking the dope, taking the acid and all the free love are the ones teaching your kids and indoctrinating them. And uh, Exactly. And then you have Christian parents or just regular parents sending their kids to schools, these colleges, and they come back hating their parents, calling them racists. And they're like, what? What's going on? You know, and I'll tell you, the ignorance is really shown by this latest incident with um, all these mass protests in college campuses around the country, pro-Palestinian genocidal protests against Israel, calling for genocide against Israel. And now, finally, Jews, some Jews and other, um, uh, uh, what do they call them? you know, graduates from those colleges that, that, that would give millions of dollars to their alma mater, right? There's this long problem, longstanding problem of, um, uh, graduate, what's the word I'm thinking of? Alumni. Graduates. Alumni. Thank you. Duh. So all these alumni give all these millions of dollars to their, their alma mater. And, and only now they're getting mad and they go, Hey, wait a minute. What are you doing here? And they're, I'm going to withhold my money. It's like, you should have withheld that years ago because they were teaching this woke evil to your kids and, and you still didn't know it until they finally come out protesting for genocide. Then you realize maybe that's what it takes. If that's what it takes, hey, I'm grateful for it. But that's a good expression of how far behind so many people are that they don't realize they've been paying these universities billions of dollars, literally billions of dollars of, of giving and such, as well as donations, as well as, um, you know, tax, tax money from the government um, to these institutions to teach your kids to hate Jews, to hate you, to think everything's racist and become violent. 
And so this is what's happening. And this is what is the, the um, culmination of it is occurring now. And, and people are starting to wake up a little bit. And I don't know, I hope they follow through and really, truly cut the spigot of money off to these universities because they, they really need, they need to be, they need to be cut off. I wouldn't send my kid to any college, maybe a, a special Christian college. There's a few in the country that are worthy. Hillsdale, um, you know, John Patrick Henry College, but uh, not very many. But I, I, I can only confirm this, that I am a Christian and I have a Christian worldview and everything that I, I tell. So it will, in my, I could argue with anybody to prove that it's biblical, what my story. So whatever occurs in there. And, but I will say this, what occurs is not what you would expect in, in novels written by Christians. Uh, it, this is not a Christian novel in that sense, right? In other words, <clears throat> don't, exp you know, there, um, things, things in life, don't always work out. Christians don't always win in life, right? Um, and so, uh, and particularly if you don't obey the Lord, what are the consequences, right? But also, um, uh, we've been talking about all this evil. And one of the evils is, you know, now I don't, I don't dis describe, it's not gruesome. It's not gruesome in details. You don't, the scenes of, of the murder aren't actually I don't actually go through them. I only have the debates and the aftermath, right? You see, you, you don't go saw everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you, we don't actually see the events occurring, but it's still pretty brutal. I mean, it's still a pretty hard thing to take for people. But um, there's also, in order to show evil accurately, and in order to show this this evil that I was talking about, this is an evil that is deep within the souls of modern day. Um, students in, in universities. They've been fed violent evil into their minds to see the world as the oppressor, the, to see the goodness of the world, America, white people, um, you know, uh, Christians. These are all things that are, they're taught to be evil and taught to hate. And that hatred leads to violence. And so I want to accurately portray, uh, the evil so you can understand it. And so there is some, there's F-bombs in there. There's some bad language, uh, not a lot of it, but enough to make the point that the violent evil that people do comes from a violent evil heart. And it's expressed first in their language, right? You can't, the way kids talk these days, and if you've seen any of these protests, they're full of vile, um, you know, violent. They're wearing um, vagina you know, hats and everything else. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I do want to, I actually, I want to accurately capture it because if I don't, if I just have students that are just saying, "Hey, gosh darn it," or "You dummies," Dag not, it doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah, it's not realistic at all. It's not depicting the evil that is in their hearts. Mm -hmm. So be ready. There's some language in it. If you're, if you're a person who is sensitive to that kind of thing, but I tried to pull back on it. You know, it's not like a Quentin Tarantino movie. Okay. <laughs> but, but it, it's definitely uh, realistic in that sense. Um, because if, and my argument is, if you do not accurately depict the evil in this world, then the redemption that you're offering has no power right? People are going to watch it. And they, if, if, if they think, well, he's not accurately capturing anything that's, that requires redemption, or he's not ac accurately depicting evil, then they're not going to believe you or trust your, your picture of redemption. And this story does have redemption. Um, but it, it comes at the price of through a lot of pain and suffering and evil, just like in the Bible. 
Um, and I think that's the world we, we live in today. Well, that's a biblical theme too, you know, uh, study to, to show thyself approved and be ready to give an answer for the faith that you have. Yeah. I think that's first Peter three fifteen. It's the classic Christian apologist verse. And it's, it's wonderful because it really does express how, where we should be even as Christians. That is, we should be equipped. We should be ready to defend our, our beliefs. And so many Christians sadly are not, you know, they just, you know, they, they, they get, and then when they get exposed to someone like Bart Ehrman, he's a, he's a, he's been a, he's an apostate who's written some very popular books. He, he was a Bible, he is a Bible scholar, a New Testament Bible scholar, and he still is, but he's an apostate and he, and, and he tries to persuade people that the, that the Bible is not God's word and it's just a confusing mess and it's it got, that God's not real. And he does a good job because there is a lot, there are a lot of problems with the biblical text as we have it. And anyone who knows, um, uh, Textual criticism knows about this, but most normal Christians don't. And when they get exposed to it for the first time or whatever through the Bart Ehrman, I know of people who've lost their faith by reading Bart Ehrman because they're, they were not equipped or they had a, a really sort of shallow belief in the Bible as God's word. And it has to be all perfect and it has to be, you know, because if there's anything imperfect in the, in, it's not God's word, you know, and, and the problem is, is there's, there are a lot of uh, textual problems with the text. And we, you know, we could be almost. was written you know, by humans. Very, People tend to forget that. Yes. It's divine inspired. God breathes. It's got God hands breathes, to the humans yeah. all over it. And we're prone yeah. to mistakes. But also, but also the scribes who translated it and who also, you know, continued to write the copies of it. There are problems that occur. They added their and, own uh, theology and beliefs in as they went. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, there, it's more than just, um, there are theological ramifications of that. But the point is, is that if you have this, this simplistic, hyper literalistic, you know, everything the Bible says is literally true, you know, and Jesus is going to come back at any moment. We're the last generation. And then, and they've believed that for 150, 200, a thousand years, right? And, and so many Christians lose their faith because they have a false understanding of the end times. They have poor, um, understanding of the Bible as God's word. And so when they get good, uh, intelligent, unbelieving arguments, it seems very persuasive because they don't have any answers and they get sucked in. And that's, that's one of the things I also want to address in this story as well, because it's also been a burden on my own life, you know, it's just the, with other people around the me. building the house on the sand, you know? Yeah. That's exactly what that is. And I love how you capture that this is a serious issue and life and death hang on it because even metaphorically, allegorically in the 30,000 foot view, it does because if you cannot defend your faith, well, you don't know the word. Well, there could be somebody that's not a believer watching you and hearing your conversation with somebody else. And if you look like a fool and fall short and can't, justify and explain the belief of your faith in your savior then you've ultimately put that person to death because they're they're not going to seek redemption or, or christ because you didn't do your due diligence and, and was able to defend your faith so i mean life and death does defend on your ability to defend the faith yeah 
Yeah, we need to take it m- much more seriously. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say that I think there has been a. I've seen a lot of Christians learn and grow in this area of apologetics and and defending your faith. You know, and it's not like you have to become this, you know, apologist. You know, um, but just every normal Christian, like you, that Bible verse you said. Even though there are some who are gifted for apologetics, apologetics, some are gifted for evangelism. That that doesn't mean normal Christians shouldn't engage in apologetics or evangelism. It just means that some are better at it than others, and it's okay. You don't have to have all the answers, but but if you care about the souls of around you who are dying and going to be judged, then you would you would want to find answers to their questions or their doubts to be able to put them to rest and at least for your own soul, but also be able to communicate to them why, in what way are they suppressing the truth and unrighteousness? Like the Bible says, in what way does the unbeliever know there's a God, but suppresses him, whether he wants to live his life for some sexual purposes or some other moral money or something, something he doesn't want to give up, something, some idol that he wants to live for, Whatever it is, all unbelievers have something against God. That's what the Bible says, right? You're either for me or against me. And so um, we we too often get sucked into this notion of, yeah, some people are neutral. And, you know, if I could just persuade them to believe in the Bible, then they'll believe in Christ. And it's like, no, that's that's not really how it works, you know, because they're not going to believe in the Bible because they don't want to, because they hate God and, and they don't want to be accountable to someone other than themselves. And that's really, that's really the heart and soul of, of unbelief, you know? So anyway, yeah, it's, I love the apologetics realm, but it also, it can become a little bit too intellectual sometimes. And so that's why my approach has been to use narrative as my means of doing my my apologetics. And that's what I hope Cruel Logic does. In a very real sense, Cruel Logic is explaining to the unbeliever that without God, they have no foundation for morality at all. And that means they know that their unbelief is wrong because they know there is right and wrong. And they just don't want to admit that God is the is the foundation of that, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that and that ideas have consequences. These crazy, whacked out beliefs that godless, secular, humanistic people believe, they all have consequences. If you believe man is just an animal, um, morality is a construct uses power to power over the people. Well, then it's no surprise people will act like animals and only care about power. And like, what are we seeing in today? In today's world of two tier justice, right? The people in power don't care about truth or justice. They claim the word justice, but they don't. They'll only apply the law to to, the, to their political enemies, and then they won't apply the law to the people who agree with them. And so. Why? Because they believe in power. They don't believe in truth or justice. Truth and justice is just a cover word to make other people feel good about what they are doing, which is the pursuit of power. And yeah, so don't get me going down the road of our fat, our current fascist tyranny that we are under in America. But yeah, no, I, I agree. I'm right there with you, Brian. It's just a uh, sick, sad world, and it's uh, it's never been perfect, you know what I mean? But it's, shoot, what a world difference one president in, you know, three and a half short years can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. 
But anyway, so back yeah. to the novel, though, I, I just, <clears throat> you know, it, like I said, it, it's my goal to, to, I love theology, I love philosophy, but I know many people don't get into it that much. It's too intellectual, whatever. My goal is to make theology and philosophy entertaining and, and, and to do so in a way that challenges people and, and, and goes beyond just a good story, but actually makes them think about things and makes them see things from a different perspective. And um, that's, that's what I hope Cruel Logic does. Well, Brian, thank you, man. Uh, give everybody the information where they can find this amazing book and uh, your content and uh, the trailers, too, because uh, I actually want to check those out. I didn't know you had the, the trailers from when you were trying to make it into a movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go to my website, Gadawa.com. It's an Easter egg. You can. It's easy to find because it's called Crew Logic, but <clears throat> um, it should be under my film, my movies category or whatever. But it's a, it's a short that um, I did years ago. The killer doesn't look the same as the killer in the ad, okay? But the killer in the ad is more how I can see, how I think of him now, right? But um, yeah, so my website is a very interesting website. I have all kinds of cool stuff, free stuff, information, lots of cool articles, scholarly articles about things that I write about. But all my books are exclusively at Amazon in both Kindle, paperback, hardcover, and audiobook, and now large print. I now have most of my books in large print as well for people. So, but it's all exclusively there at Amazon. Um, you know, check it out. Uh, if, if you, you can just go straight to Amazon and, you know, type in my name and you'll get everything you need to learn about the books before you buy it. Awesome. Well, guys, if you got anything from it, hey, your studies important. Your theology is important. Have a reason to justify the faith that you have. Until next time. Torches high. What's going on, guys? Thanks for listening to the Prometheus Lens podcast. I asked if you've got anything out of this show so far and you're already subscribed, please share us with a friend. Give us a rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. That helps us to grow the show, get to new listeners, but it also helps us get better guests. Because a lot of times I send out emails to people and they check us out. And if we don't have a lot of good ratings and things like that, they won't even bother emailing me back. So anything you guys can do to help, I appreciate it. And if you're not, a member of our members only group, I encourage you to do so. There's a lot of extra content on there. You get early access to episodes, uh, private chats, members only videos and episodes. It's a great community. Join the band of brothers on this hero's journey.